Welcome to Rumble Strip. It was this deep, dark cancer. So to have her family members muster their courage to get up there and, and tell the real story of the horror that they grew up in, being raped by their father and thrown into closets. I mean, it was really one of the, you know, it was like Voldemort is among us. It was super ugly in this family, and then it just, like, exploded into this leprosy for all to see. You kind of go along, and you're like, yeah, everything's okay, and we've got these agencies, and everybody's taking care of everything, and everyone's treating everyone right, and then all of a sudden, it's like you have four corpses. And I'm in the role of kind of going back to piece it all together, like, what happened? What happened with your grandfather? What happened to your father? What happened with the unsolved homicide that was your father, where people claimed it was a suicide because nobody actually wanted to go dig and find out what really happened? So there was this sense of deep, deep deep-seated injustice that, um, that ultimately explodes. That's my friend Susan Randall, a private investigator. She's talking about a case that involved a series of shootings that left four people dead here in Vermont in 2015. Susan worked for the defense attorney on the sentencing for that case. A sentencing is where a judge decides on a punishment after guilt is already established. It's the time for considering the pain caused by the crime. It's also a time to ask, how did we get here? What happened in the life of this person that led her to do what she did? For months, Susan worked closely with a woman who committed these murders, creating a profile of her life, her history, her family. It's a story of almost unimaginable, multi-generational abuse, abuse which started two generations before her birth. In the end, she received a sentence of life without parole. And I'm not going to name her. It's a very sensitive case in Vermont, and this is not a story about her. The story is about what it's like to work closely on cases like these as a private investigator, and what happens after the cases are closed. Here's Susan Randall. Um, in, it's been now, I don't know, a month, two months? Since that was November, so it was, uh, yeah, it was like three months. What's the fallout been for, for you since then? Yeah, I went to see our client the morning after she was sentenced to life without parole. And uh, it felt really, really important to just show up. Somebody from the defense team needed to show up the next morning. Because the minute they gave the sentence, she was handcuffed and put into the back of a van and just sent back to her cell. And uh, so I went to see her the next day, and uh, she wasn't surprised. It was sort of the way her life has played out. Like, it didn't make any difference. The whole thing just uh, was what she expected. What was it like for you? I felt uh, despondent. I felt, um, I actually went home and just lay down on the floor of my living room. Really move, and I felt uh, detached and kind of I don't know. It was weird. My daughter, who's 14, said, "Mom, I think you've been possessed." 
I think that she's kind of taken over your mind and your body the last couple months. I'm like worried. And um, I felt so in her life. It was like this level of empathy where I felt like I need a floor here. I can't take this all the way to the basement. Like I need to get off on the eighth floor. I can't take this all the way down or it's just going to eat me up. And um, yeah, I think the attorney I was working with may have felt the same way. It was rough. It was really rough for our whole team. And, you know, I think I think anyone who does this work, I think people that work death penalty cases. I mean, I remember going to a conference. It was like this brown bag training where it was like, bring your death penalty case to the, you know, to the cookout and we'll all talk about it. You know, it was like this... And it was this meeting out in Indianapolis where it was like Terre Haute is not that far from there where all the people on death row are imprisoned. And, um, yeah, I mean, you look around that room and it's these incredibly smart legal minds working these cases. And the best that they're going to get is life. And, uh, you know, they work on these cases for six, seven, eight, ten years. And, um, and then they get death. And their clients are executed. Uh, so I think I just got a glimpse of what that looks like. And um, I felt really determined to not go drink tequila. I felt determined to not eat rat poison to kill the rat. This is where I went tanning last winter. You went tanning? Yeah, I thought it would cheer me up. What's on your mind? Um, you know, just you, you asking these questions makes me have to really reflect on how this work really has deeply affected me. And, um, you know, my family keeps asking me, like, why don't you do a different job? Like, why don't you... You know, if you were working in a flower shop or if you were teaching kindergarten, it would be challenging, but like it wouldn't be challenging on this level. And why are you so drawn to this level of hyperbolic life suffering? Like, why are you in and out of jails like four or five days a week? Like, why, why, why are you doing this work? And I guess after you've been doing it for like, almost 20 years um, you start to understand the patterns and you start to understand the questions and you actually get really good at connecting the dots and figuring out the narratives and um, I actually really love my job I just have to figure out how to survive it and I have to figure out how to not be consumed by this sort of world sorrow um, and what we do to each other. I went to the jail down in New Hampshire yesterday, which is the super depressing jail where there's like one main room 
and then all the cells are off of the room, but there's no movement. There's like nowhere to get out. So you feel like all of these guys in orange jumpsuits are all in this one big room together and they feel like they're at the zoo. I mean, it's like you've taken a bunch of, you know, animals and put them all into this one room and there's nowhere to go and they're never allowed outside. So the air is super stale and it kind of smells like male sweat. And the only thing that they can do is like go in a side room and do like push-ups. And you see everybody sort of spiral down in that place. Like I, and it's anywhere that they aren't allowed to go outside. It's like they start to spiral down and when you're in that room, it's an attorney room, there are these windows on the room. So it's your client sort of sitting in front of you and behind their head is this triptych of guys in orange jumpsuits living their lives and like eating their lunch. And, uh, and I'm looking at them and saying the offer that's on the table is the 30 to life while they're sitting there at age 24 and it's like that reality is just uh yeah it's staggering and then you talk to your client and then you take your notebook and your laptop and you get buzzed out and you walk outside and there's like sun shining and there's a little hawk that flies over and you and you go home and you cook dinner And so to kind of follow that thread all the way back, like if we don't deal with what happens to us as we go along, we end up with this bloody mess of a disaster sometimes, not always, but sometimes we do. And then once that's happened, there's no going back. Once the horrible crime or somebody's pulled the trigger or there's a drunken episode at night or a tree ends up in the front of your car with a dead body with their head, you know, and you just drank too much and you just drove around the corner. Like you can't rewind that. You can never take that back. And, um, you just sit across the table and there's nothing else to say. No matter what you did, you can call me up with your weird fetish. You can call me up with your ugly divorce. You can call me up and I'll help you figure out why there are these bodies. There's this roomy quote that's on my website, which says... Oh, yeah, I remember that. What does it say? It says, beyond right doings, beyond wrongdoings, there's a field. I'll meet you there. That was Susan Randall. She's been a private investigator in Vermont for over 20 years, and the name of her business is VT Private Eye. I have a link to her website on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. And this is actually our third show together, and if you haven't heard them, I recommend you go back and listen to the first two, which are also on my website. The music for this show was made by Emily Cupers. I want to thank everyone for donating to the show, particularly those who have started up regular monthly donations. It makes a huge difference. It keeps me going. And if you want to make a donation, I'd be very grateful. You'll find a green donate button on the upper right corner of my website. 
which again is rumblestripvermont.com. Rumblestrip is a proud member of The Herd, a podcast collective of excellent producers making great work. You can learn more about us at theherdradio.com. I'm Erica Heilman. I'll be back soon with more shows. Thanks for listening.